1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22 this morning. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be all be made alive. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey Tapford, good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. What a good morning. Hey, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us today, I just wanted to take a moment to say welcome. We are so happy that you are here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Taproot. This is a very special day for our church. It is an evidence of God's grace and goodness and faithfulness, not only because it's Easter, but like we've been, like we said earlier, it is because today, after almost six years of being a mobile church, this Sunday is our first time meeting in this, our new building, our permanent space. So what I wanted to do, I found my, uh, my 2015 selfie stick, and I wanted to be able to take a moment to, to capture this morning with a selfie. You guys okay with that? Check this out. Quality. Walgreens. All right, so here we go. Let's, oh, boy. Maybe this won't work. Hang on. Okay, that's awkward. Okay, let's see if we can do it. Oh, boy, it's going to be bad. Panorama. Can we do that? Wait. I didn't, uh-oh. I didn't think through this all, all, all real well. Hang on. Video? Short video. Short video. Wait. So, okay, we're good. It's a good day, you guys. And I'm, my back is to you. Okay, y'all ready? Okay, here we go. Happy Easter! That did not go as I planned. But that's good. All right. Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians this morning. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and grab those, keep those handy, and uh, we're going to get going here. Resurrection is anything but normal. Resurrection is not normal. It is not 
ordinary. I heard the story of a man named Beck Weathers who had a resurrection story as he attempted to climb Mount Everest. Listen to this story. Let me read this to you. As Beck made his final climb towards the summit, he came down with an extreme case of snow blindness on his way through Everest's death zone, a place where oxygen is so scarce that the human body shuts down vital organ systems such as the digestive system to simply sustain life. The altitude began blinding him to everything that was more than two or three feet in front of his face. He told his guide, experienced New Zealander mountaineer named Rob Hall, about his condition. Hall made Weathers promise to not continue the mountain, up the mountain and told him to sit down and wait for Hall to return from the summit so they could both return together. So Beck Weathers sat. A few short hours after Beck halted his ascent, ominous clouds began rolling across the peak of the mountain. In the blink of an eye, Beck found himself in the middle of a raging blizzard. 70-mile-an-hour winds, torrential waves of snow pelted the side of the mountain, assaulting weathers with a wind chill that exceeded 100 degrees below zero. Finally, a group of fellow climbers returning from the summit came upon weathers and decided to try and help him down as the group desperately attempted to return to Camp 4. They did their best despite whiteout conditions, but eventually the gale force winds, lack of oxygen, and unrelenting storm forced the climbers to stop their search for shelter and huddle together for warmth. When there was a, finally a lull in the storm, one of the climbers, Groom, knew he had a small window which, with, with which to go for help. He left Weathers and four other climbers, all of whom were nearly unconscious, to return to camp for assistance. Help returned a few hours later. Three of the climbers were helped up and led back down to base camp, but Beck Weathers and Japanese climber Yasuko Namba had both fallen into hypothermic comas and were unresponsive. The rescuers decided that nothing could be done to save these people. The path was too perilous for other climbers to try to drag those unconscious bodies, and they were left for dead on the side of the mountain. All night, Beck Weathers lay on his back, slowly freezing to death in the bitter cold, though he was lying only 300 yards from camp. At that altitude, it might have as well been 300 miles. Hypothermia seized his body, frostbite set in on his nose and both of his hands. Here would be his final resting place, buried under the snow and exposed to extreme cold, ice, and wind. And the next morning, two Sherpas returned to Beck in non-best position check up on them. Listen to this. After chipping blocks of ice off their faces, the Sherpas found both of them to be breathing, but severely frostbitten, and quote, as close to death as any human being could be. The call, for the second time, once again, was made to leave them for dead. Since there was little that could have been done to save them, even if they were able to drag the bodies back to camp, the Sherpas Slogged back to camp, reported Weathers and Nambes' deaths. But then, something incredible happened. Beck Weathers opened his eyes. This is a quote. He said in an interview, I am neither churchly nor a particular per, uh, spiritual person, 
but I can tell you that some force outside of me at the last moment called me, then guided me, blind and stumbling, quite literally a dead man walking into camp and the shaky start of my return to life. And I can only attribute this to God. It was miraculous. At that moment, Beck Weathers decided that he wanted to live. He slowly dragged himself to his feet and started walking. He was completely blind in one eye, which had been swollen shut by the cold, had a visibility range of one to, two, two, uh, one to three feet uh, in the other eye, and his entire body was numb, and he was dumb from altitude sickness. Despite all his deficiencies, he was able to stumble 300 yards into the searing cold wind in an incredible feat of endurance, and finally, against all odds, and to the shock of everyone who witnessed it, Beck Weathers lurched into camp four. What a story. What a story. Resurrection, like I said, is anything but ordinary. Resurrection is anything but normal. And here is the fact, Taproot, friends, family, our God is in the business of resurrection. Broken marriages, Broken families, broken friendships, broken relationships, broken souls, broken people, broken sinners. God is in the business of resurrection, all for the glory of God and all because of Jesus. Resurrection is a big deal. Like Beck Weather said, we can only attribute it to God. It is miraculous. It is divine. Men don't just rise from the dead apart from God intervening. Apart from Jesus, we know of people in the Bible who rose from the dead, with Lazarus being the most famous one. However, the difference between Jesus and Lazarus was that Lazarus was raised from the dead and then later in life returned to the grave. But Jesus didn't. He went to the grave once and was resurrected. Different. And the difference makes... It's what really matters. Jesus didn't die again. He is alive. Now, here's what I want to consider with you this morning. I want to consider the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. Why does this matter? Why is this important? And what would be the implications if Jesus did not rise from the dead? And what are the implications since he did rise from the dead? So let's take a moment and pray. Father, what an incredible day. Jesus is alive. God, I pray today that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted and lifted high, that much would be made of your name, God. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the life we couldn't live, die the death that we deserved, and then rise again, conquering death, sin, and the grave. Thank you, God. We worship you. God, I pray now that you would help me as I uh, try to teach your words, God. Help me, God. Open up people's eyes and ears and hearts and minds to see Jesus clearly. And may your spirit do what only he can do. May you draw us to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so first, what happens... What happens if Jesus did not rise from the dead? The letter to the Corinthians, which is where we are at this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 
was written by Paul the Apostle, and it answers a series of questions. One of those questions was, is there such a thing as resurrection? Which the heart behind that question really is, is there truth to life after death? This question is very relevant. We have asked it. Our culture asks this question. And many teachers in that time were trying to persuade people to doubt the reality of resurrection, which meant that it really didn't matter how you lived because there was no life after death. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have to give an account before God, and there would be no judgment. So as Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians, he addresses this issue, the importance of Jesus' resurrection. Why does this matter? Paul is writing to Christians and starts by addressing the problem of believing that there is no resurrection for the Christian. And here is the problem, verse 13 of chapter 15. If there is no resurrection, as some would believe, then not even Christ has been raised. This would be a big problem. And the logic would be clear. If people can't be raised from the dead, then Jesus isn't raised, and the implications of that are tragic. So Paul addresses it. So if the dead aren't raised, this means that Jesus isn't raised. And what does that mean for us? as people who have trusted, as people who have believed in Jesus. It's a huge question with horrific results, if it were true. Now, let's look at some of the implications of what if Jesus didn't rise. Verse 14 is the first implication. Our preaching is in vain, and our faith is in vain. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, what I do for a living and what Christians talk about is the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who was raised from the dead. If that didn't happen, our proclaiming of that would be empty and full of nothing. Same as our faith. What's the point of trusting this fact if it didn't happen? The second implication, if Christ did not rise from the dead, is this. Verse 15, we are misrepresenting God. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, in our declaration that Jesus is alive, we would be lying about God. Third implication, verse 17, our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, we would still be in the guilt of our sins, still under the penalty of our disobedience to God, if there is no resurrection Fourth implication, verse 18, those who have died have perished. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, this means that there is no hope when we die. Last implication, verse 19, if Christ is no longer raised from the dead, we are people most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, if there's no life after death, why are we denying ourselves any pleasure? Why not, like many in Corinth and in our culture, go after every pleasure imaginable, moral and immoral? If Jesus has not been raised, then self-discipline, denying ourselves, and self-control is our, it's a futile endeavor because guess what? Our best life would be now. So the implications, church, of no resurrection are huge. The resurrection is one of the non-negotiables of the Christian faith. 
There are four non-negotiables to the truth of the gospel of Jesus and to our faith. Number one, Jesus was miraculously conceived and born. Number two, Jesus lived a perfect life, sinless life, never disobeying God's commands in thought, word, or action. Number three, Jesus died a substitutionary death, meaning that he died in our place for our sins, satisfying God's wrath. Number four, God raised him from the dead, declaring that he approved of his birth, life, and death. And if you pull any of those non-negotiables out, the entire foundation of the gospel comes crashing down. The resurrection, what we are celebrating today, is the final non-negotiable. It's the culminating event that makes Jesus' perfect life and substitute death effective for us. Jesus could die on Friday, but to make his death effective to us, he must defeat sin's master, death. And his resurrection provides that victory. He could live a perfect life, but to make his perfect life effective to us, he must rise again. Resurrection is then completely necessary to our faith. Otherwise, we, Christian, would be people most to be pitied. Now let's look at the other side of the coin. That's not the whole story. Paul then argues the positive implications of resurrection starting in verse 20. I love this verse. Look at the first four words in your Bible. But in fact, Christ has been raised. But in fact, but in fact, this changes everything. But in fact, I love that Paul used the word fact, proof. The book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this, with many convincing proofs, proofs, Jesus appeared to his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. Proofs. It really happened. It's a fact. Jesus really died. The Romans were expert uh, executioners. Jesus really died. Second proof. The tomb was really empty. Third fact. His followers saw Jesus after the resurrection, heard him, touched him, ate with him. And guess what? They believed in it so much that it did happen that they were willing to give their lives for it. Last proof, their belief system changed. These Jewish men went from celebrating and worshiping on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday. They went to, they started celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion, celebrating baptism, remembering what Jesus had done in his death and resurrection. But in fact, it happened. Christ rose from the dead. So what are the positive implications that we see in our text, starting in verse 20? Since, not if, since Christ was raised, then what? Let's first backtrack. Paul is showing us then that since Jesus has been raised, then that means that our preaching and our faith are not in vain. 
It means we are not lying about God because God does raise the dead. It means that those who are in Jesus have not perished, as we will see more clearly in just a few moments. And it means that we don't hope in Jesus in this life alone, but he is our hope for the life to come. And we, friend, are the most blessed people, not the most pitied people, because guess what? Our best life, it's later. That is good news. Now, Paul says, because Jesus is raised, he is the first among many to be raised from the dead. And Paul uses the word in our text, the word first fruits. He uses the word here which uh, to say, and it's like it's the first and best blossoms of a garden to show us that there is more to come. First fruits is used here to show us that Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee, the guarantee that there will be a resurrection of the dead for those who believe in him. And Paul shows us that in the following verses, verse 21, by a man, Adam, came death. But by a man, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, in Adam, all die, but in Jesus, all shall be made alive. And notice verse 23, each in their order, first Jesus, then those who belong to him. What we see here, friends, is that Jesus' resurrection guarantees a resurrection to eternal life to those who have put their faith, trust, and belong to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this. This should be on the screens, church. He is the first fruits the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different because he has done so. So because Jesus was raised as the first fruits, as the pioneer of life, we will be raised, Christian, to eternal life as well guaranteed. That is fantastic news, Taproot. Now, if you look in the text, you'll notice from verse 24 to verse 26, there's all of this kingdom, all of this subjection language. Look at verse 24 real quick. He delivers the kingdom of God to the fa- God the Father after destroying all rule, authority, and power. This is just paraphrasing. Verse 25, he will reign until all enemies are under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be defeated is death. This language in our text is on purpose because the resurrection of Jesus is not just a conquering moment, it is a crowning moment. History says that when a king would win a victory over an enemy kingdom, he would bring the enemy king and parade him around the city until he came to the palace steps and the victorious king would place his foot on the neck of the defeated king. In that moment, the enemy king was in subjection to the conquering king and the conquering king was crowned king over the conquered kingdom. Friends, when Jesus rose from the dead, it is a conquering moment because sin death, the grave, were defeated. But in the resurrection, it's also a crowning moment. 
Because Satan, the great enemy of God, who thought he had won on Friday, was bowing in subjection to King Jesus. And Jesus was showing his lordship over all things. Even death itself, which is Satan's greatest weapon. And if Satan's greatest weapon of mass destruction is crushed, then Satan himself is crushed. And in the resurrection, in the resurrection of Jesus, Satan, our great enemy, was crushed. The serpent was crushed. But it's great news. The culmination church and final completion of this crowning moment will be when all of God's people will be raised and standing around his throne worshiping him. Because for the child of God, as Paul says later, death is swallowed up in victory. When all God's people are home, the victory will be final. So this stuff we read in the last verses, this language is about kingship. It's about lordship. This is about two kingdoms warring against one another. The kingdom of darkness governed by Satan and the kingdom of light governed by Jesus. And the resurrection declares with a loud shout, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. So the resurrection is a crowning moment. And what our king is doing is he is bringing his people to God. The kingdom of light is the kingdom of God. And Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are all about reconciling people God. I love this quote I read this week by John Piper, and it says this. This is on the screens as well. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. Jesus came to live perfectly, died in our place, was raised again to reconcile us God. That's the gospel. God saves sinners. To finish, let me just say this. This is a sobering fact. All will be raised from the dead in a bodily resurrection. This is a fact. All will be raised from the dead in a bodily resurrection. However, only those who have trusted in Jesus, only those who have believed in Jesus before their death will be raised to eternal life. Friends, family, there are many ways that lead to God. Only one way that leads to a happy encounter with him. And his name is Jesus. So friends, as the writers of the Bible would say, today, this day, today is the day of salvation. That means if you are here this morning and if you have not believed, if you have not had confidence in those four non-negotiables that I mentioned earlier about Jesus, you're not guaranteed a resurrection to eternal life. You're guaranteed a resurrection to eternal death. 
And that could be remedied this morning by trusting and believing in Jesus and what he did. And if you belong to Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, then you can rejoice in this fact. Because of Jesus' resurrection, you will be resurrected to eternal life when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. So if this Jesus is the one you've placed your hope, your trust, your belief in, rejoice, dear friend. He's brought you to God. You are one of his. You are in his family. But if you are here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, if you've not believed in Jesus, oh, dear friend, we invite you to do so. Come to King Jesus. Come to the creator and sustainer of all things and be reconciled to God through Jesus. Remember what I said earlier as we started? Our God, church, is in the business of resurrection. Christian, non-Christian, friend, family, believer, unbeliever, God is in the business of resurrection. Broken marriages, broken families, broken friendships, broken people, broken souls, broken sinners, broken bodies. God is in the business of resurrection. He can do it. He can do it. He's the only one who can resurrect us. So, if this morning you need resurrection, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are the only one who could bring us, who could bring us back to life. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when, when, when there was no life in us, you made us alive in Christ. You have resurrected our spirits. You have breathed life into us, God. And so we say thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. And this morning we celebrate the victory over death, sin, and the grave, making his life substitute death and resurrection effective for us. Thank you, God, for Christ. Lord, I pray for those who may not know you this morning. I pray that even now, God, that you would speak to them, God. Draw them to yourself. May they see their need for Jesus, God, and may you give them new life this morning. God, I pray for the Christian as well. For those areas that maybe we need resurrection, God. Families, friendships, relationships, bodies. Breathe life into your people this morning and bring resurrection, God. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for Christ, God. Do now, Spirit of God, what only you can do. And move and breathe into your people the life that you only can give. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church going to respond this morning to what we heard by singing. 
We're going to sing a few songs, celebrate the victory of our Savior, Jesus. And we are also going to celebrate and respond to our message, to our teaching this morning by celebrating baptisms. An incredible visual of death and resurrection. People declaring that they believe in Jesus. Jesus has transformed them, given them new life, and they want to make a public confession of their faith this morning. So if you are one of those folks that signed up to get baptized, I would just invite you to kind of come and kind of make a line down here. If you can see Rebecca here in the shadows, come and uh, see her. And come and we'll, we'll kind of get you going as we sing. We'll, uh, we'll sing. We'll celebrate baptisms. We'll rejoice at this incredible visual of new life and uh, of what Jesus has done. And even, even if there's any, anybody else in this room that you, you sense that the Holy Spirit is, is, is tugging at your heart, He is nudging you, and you are sensing that you need resurrection, and you, maybe you would like to get baptized, I would invite you to come and see Pastor Darren here to my left, to your right as well, and just chat with him. We'd love to baptize you this morning. But let's respond with singing, with rejoicing, with watching new life here. An incredible visual of what Jesus has done for us in our proclamation that we are His, that we believe in what He did. And let's worship, celebrate, and then I'll come back up. If you can, church, please stand. If you're getting baptized, come on down here. But let's sing.